Good morning. Scripture says that I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I am glad to be here with you. My name is Pastor Dale, um, one of the pastors on staff. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that we have the opportunity to open God's word together. And I'm glad that we can be learners today. The word disciples, those that follow Christ are called disciples because they are learners, because they take notes, mental or physical. So we're here today to learn about prayer, and we are here today to begin a series that's a four-week series. The next two weeks following today, Chad will teach, and then the final week of the series, Rick Duncan will speak. And what we're hoping for are great things. We're hoping that we as a people will become more obedient and more dependent. We're hoping individually and corporately to see the effects of that. What would that be like? Well, only God knows. But very often when God wants to do something really, really special, he sets his saints to praying. He starts with them and they begin to pray into something. They're not sure what it is, but they begin to pray and cry out. And it's God's economy to use us. And so today what we want to do is we want to start this series with a seriousness. And I want to remind you of a story from the Bible, right? From the Gospels. Each of the Gospels, we read the story of Jesus going into the temple Sometimes he went in as a little boy and he started teaching and they were amazed at him. But one of the times he went in, he was a full apostle. He was a full leader and he was teaching as a prophet. And he came in and he threw tables and he whipped people and he chased them out in his anger. And this righteous anger was based on the fact that all kinds of things were going on in his house. Things that were inappropriate and things that were distracting to those who came to worship. And he made a declaration and he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. So sometimes churches with signs and activities and busyness and stuff, sometimes there's things we do. And and I wonder if Jesus isn't sometimes in our midst. I know he's with us always. But I wonder sometimes if he isn't very much in our midst looking at what we're doing and wondering about whether or not we are giving emphasis as we ought So the season that we're in is a season of repentance. Chad announced this several months before his surgery. The elders, the pastors, and staff members have been confronted with the reality that we, leadership, has not prayed enough. That each of us have something to repent of. And each of us need to move up in this level of prayer and deepen this level of prayer. This is not about a shame or a guilt. In fact, today, I hope you leave here encouraged I hope you leave here challenged because Jesus' words are challenging. But I hope you realize that no matter where you're at in this, in this assessment of your prayer life, that you would realize that God is for you, not against you. And God will assist you and strengthen you and help you. And he will provide all that you need to draw closer to him in an intimacy with him, in an awe with him, and to increase the power of your prayers. If there was someone in the room when I asked this question that would raise their hand, I would scoff more than likely. But if I said, how many of you are praying enough? That's that's about right. I've asked about 75 life group leaders. None of them are praying enough. I've asked the pastors on our staff. So last week, Chad gave us a report card, an assessment that he said, if Jesus were speaking to our church, here's what he might say. He might say that we need some things to celebrate, our generosity, our missional spirit, our keeping God's word central. 
but there were also things that he gave maybe an evaluation that needed improvement. And so today we set sights on that. You see, we're looking at this measure of dependency. As a church, we've made it known. This is one of our core values that we depend on God, not on just the resources that God gives us, but we depend on him. And independence means we basically are a people that pray and cry out and ask and seek and knock. So today, as we consider reforming, we need a reformation of our prayer lives. And so today the message is for everybody that knows Christ. If you're here and you're not a son or daughter of God, I hope you envy what's available in Christ, that you might come to Christ today, that today you might surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that, Lord, you're a long-suffering God, that you, you know us, Lord, you, you love us, Lord. Father, when we were sinners, you loved us. You kept loving us, Lord. And we continue now as your children, Lord, sometimes to drift from you. But God, we want to be houses of prayer individually. We want to be those people, Lord God, that you can use to bring your kingdom to earth as you taught us when you taught us to pray. So Father, we bow before you. Lord, we desire you, Lord. And Lord, we we know that sometimes, Lord, the culture, hmm, our lifestyle, Lord, It inhibits us. But God, I pray that you would give us manners and ways to take this message and you, Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives so that we can figure a way forward and be used of you in this tremendous epic of redemption as you are redeeming the church and bringing forth your bride. And God, we pray that you would get all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find that the four messages are teaching messages. So today I begin as a teacher. And for 28 years in in schools I taught, um, I always looked at my lesson plans this way. Kids learn in three areas. They learn in attitude, they learn in knowledge, and they learn in skills. And that's pretty much it. You want to teach a basketball team? That's it. You want to teach science? That's it. You want to teach driver ed? That's it. No matter what you're teaching. Attitude, knowledge, and skills. And so today I'm aiming at attitude. Because you have one. And I'm going to ask you to search right now, your mind, what is your attitude toward prayer? Do words come forward? What is your attitude towards prayer? You have knowledge. You have an ability to speak. And that's all prayer is, is ability to speak. Even to think towards God is prayer, can be prayer. But you see... We are looking to make an improvement in all of our attitudes, in all of our knowledge, and in all of our skills, that we would pray better, that we would pray more effectively, and that we would become a people of prayer, a house of prayer. See, prayer is very simple. It is talking to God, right? That's a very simple definition. But there are many types of prayers expressed in the Bible, a few of them here. The prayer of faith we find in James chapter 5 where we pray over the sick and they're healed by the faith that people have. The prayers of agreement that we see like in Acts chapter 2, where together in an upper room they were gathered and they prayed, and and, and upon them came the Holy Spirit. We pray together corporately. In fact, Jesus' instructions are that we pray together 30-some out of the 30-some times Jesus told us to pray. He meant together, not alone, but together. 
There are prayers of request and petition. Like in 1 Samuel, we see Hannah begging God for a son, asking God for a son that she would give back to him. And he heard and he answered her prayer. There are prayers of thanksgiving throughout the Bible. There's too many, certainly too many to list, but there's, there's so many. There are prayers where we have consecration. We'll bring up a mission team here and we'll place them before the, the congregation and we'll pray over them and we consecrate them. We consecrate them. We dedicate them. The days when those beautiful families come up here and they hold these beautiful children and we dedicate those children to the Lord in prayer. We dedicate. There are prayers also of intercession where we stand in the gap for someone, where we represent someone else and we take that person, just like the four men who took their paralyzed friend and they broke through the roof and they dropped their friend right in front of Jesus. That's intercession. There are other types of prayer as well. There are spiritual warfare prayers. There's prayers where we say, God, go get my enemy. So the Bible is filled with prayers. The Bible lists five postures. You can sit and pray. You don't have to do anything particular like that to change your position. You can certainly stand and pray. The Bible shows us that, that sometimes men and women stood in prayer. There are times, of course, where we kneel in prayer. And kneeling is a, an expression of something. There are times we also lift our hands in prayer. Like in 1 Timothy, we're told all men should lift their holy hands, lift up holy hands to pray. And finally, of course, there's prayers where one's face touches the ground, like Jesus in Gethsemane. There are places and there are times when that position is maybe more important than any words we'll speak in the prayer time to position ourselves. Now, some of you would go, I've never done that. I've never done that. Well, this pastor says, I double dog dare you to do that. <laughs> I dare you to get on your face and think about the God that you're speaking to and think about his eternity and his all knowledge and all strength, eternal, everlasting to everlasting. Think about the God who knows you before you were even born the God who created you, the God who has kept you, the God who has provided for you and holds the universe in his hand. Think about who that is and get on your face and then pray. The body and the soul are tied together. Sometimes the physical position does matter. There are 650 prayers in this Bible. 650. I don't know how to pray. Well, open your Bible. <laughs> Moses' prayers, Daniel's prayers, Jesus' prayers, Paul's prayers, John's prayers, Peter's prayers. Open your Bible. I don't know how to pray. Open your Bible. Agree with them. Read the Psalms and sing with them. Sing with the psalmist. Sing with those who sing out. Praise God. Because the praise are prayer. Just like this, this set that we just did, this was praise. This was prayer. It went to heaven. It was before the throne of God. 450 of the prayers recorded are answered in the Bible. So we see Moses praying and we see God answering. We see David praying and we see God answering. We see Peter pray and God answers. We see Jesus pray and God answers. Why? Because we should expect God to answer. He is who he says he is. His truth never fails. His promises can't fail. So the Bible is filled with prayer. Okay, now, let's take a look at the life of Jesus. And if you're a note taker, don't try to keep up with me, but God bless you. I love people who take notes. And you students that sit there staring, well, you're another thing. <laughs> Boy, kids in my class, oof, 
I'd give them your evil eye, you know. Okay, so let's take a look at Jesus' life, and I'm going to go fast. So in Luke chapter 3, at his baptism, at his baptism, Jesus prayed, and the heavens opened, and the Father spoke, and the Spirit descended. In the morning, in the dark, he went alone to be alone with Father in, in Mark chapter 1. In Luke chapter 5, after healing many people, he went into a desolate place. He knew the enemy would come, and he sought the Father. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, praying all night before choosing his 12 disciples, a night of prayer. Nobody prays like Christ, and he spent the night praying to make that decision for the wisdom and the discernment that he would need to choose those 12. While speaking to the Jewish leaders, he rejoiced at the Father's will, and that will was that the Father was revealing himself to the children. Jesus was telling parables, and kids were going, ah, and the Pharisees were going, what's that mean? Giving thanks in, in John chapter 6, he gave thanks as he fed the 5,000. Later, he gave thanks in Matthew when he was feeding the 4,000. He prayed while healing a deaf and mute man in Mark chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 17, before walking upon the Sea of Galilee, he was praying as his men set out on that sea. Before Peter called Jesus the Christ of God, Jesus prayed for him. And when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's not of man. God revealed that to you. We see Jesus praying before that happened. Luke chapter 9, we see the transformation, the transfiguration. God, Jesus goes up on a mountain, right? Where glory comes down on him. He's with three, three his inside men. He's with his, his closest men. And he's praying with them when the glory of heaven came and his glory was revealed. We see it at the return of the 70 who came back and they came back bragging. We cast out demons. We heal the sick. We raise the dead. And Jesus stops. He rejoices with them, but he prays for them because he knows pride can come in. Spiritual pride is dangerous, right? Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, before teaching his disciples the prayer we'll look at today, he prayed. Before they finally said, Lord, teach us to pray. Before raising Lazarus from the dead, you know that story. Mary and Martha and Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is standing before a tomb. Four days dead, he stinks. And Jesus looks up and prays. And power, divine power flows through him. And Jesus was as much of a man as I am. Don't lose that. The great mystery of our God is that he was as much man as we are. And he was more, he was perfect God as well. Laying hands on the children, he prayed. Asking the Father to glorify his name, John chapter 12, he prayed. At the Lord's Supper, he prayed. He prayed for Peter when Satan made it known that he was going to sift Peter. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you, but I prayed for you. In other words, it's not going to happen. I got gotcha. you. Prayed for himself and his disciples and all the believers in John chapter 17 as a long priestly prayer. And then in Gethsemane, Jesus laid on his face and he prayed. And three times he wrestled with the Father. Not this cup. Not this cup. If there is another way, not this cup. Until finally he broke and opened his hands to his Father and said, I submit. Not my will, but your will be done. That's perfection in prayer. That is perfection. Not mine, but yours. Be done. After being nailed to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. 
While dying on the cross, he cried out with a victorious cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then finally, into, my hand, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. I commend my spirit. Now, did that stop? Is Jesus done? No, after the resurrection, we keep going in the gospels. And what's he doing? He's praying while he has dinner with his men. What's he doing after that? He's blessing them just before he ascends. He goes to heaven and he says he is the ultimate, all-time, constant intercessor for us. He is now in intercession for us. He is praying for you now. If you belong to Jesus, he's praying for you. How does he do that? He's God. He's infinite. He can do all things. Nothing exhausts him. He's not like us. If you think God's like you, you are way off. You are so far wrong. He's not like us. So how does he do this? Don't ask me. There's mysteries in him we'll never understand. Hallelujah. I don't want a little God. I want a great, incomprehensible God. I want a God that I can never stop adoring for new things that he reveals. I want to know the God of the Bible. I want to know this great God. Not my own God. I want to know this great God who hears and answers prayer. And there's not a cry he doesn't hear. There's not a heart moan he doesn't hear. So we are in a position to continue this work. Jesus sets us to the, as disciples today. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, 25. In this verse, Jesus says, this is about who he is now, our high priest. Consequently, he's our high priest. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. That's us. This is his work. It continues in heaven. How is he our intercession? All God has are sinners that'll come. That's all he has. There's not anybody in this room has got a different nature than mine and, and, and Pete's, Peter's, ay, ay, ay. sinful nature. Jorge, sinful nature. I know these guys. I know them well. But that's all God has. And what does he do? He has the power to save them to the uttermost. Why? Because of the wounds on his hands. Because the slash on his head. Because the pierced side here. Because the blood that was poured. And he can say to the father, this one's ours. This is one you gave me before the foundation of the world. He's mine. She's mine. That's the intercession. He makes us righteous. He takes our sin, the great hurler of heaven, and he takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. And we come in and we've got Christ's righteousness on through his intercession for us. He makes us holy before God. He makes us holy. He does this constantly. Now, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? You go, I go to church. Eh. So I go to McDonald's. I'm not a hamburger. <laughs> I'm not. Really, look at me. I'm not a hamburger, but I go to McDonald's. Are you a Christian? See, a Christian is somebody who God lives in. It's a takeover. It's supernatural. It's a new birth. I become a new person. I'm made new. This happened years ago for us. And I say us because Jackie's here. In my 42 years of marriage to be celebrated this week, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when we, 
When we got saved, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea what we were doing. God knew exactly what he was doing, but we didn't. And when we turned around in a Roman Catholic church and told everybody at our family that we were going to serve the Lord and that was going to be the priority of our lives, my grandma fainted, my uncle fell over. I mean, they just couldn't believe what I was saying. Are you a Christian? See, if you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. That's the great exchange. I give him my life, and Paul says it, I am no longer alive. It's Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. Well, if Christ is praying, 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 man, lives in you, it would seem that if he's ruling in your life, that you would be prayerful. You see, this is a, there, there's this place in your life. This is your singer, single seat throne, and somebody's sitting on it. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Used to be for me, Dale. Used to be I was the American guy. I could do it myself. I'm independent. I don't need God. Whew. So is Jesus sitting on the throne? Or are you sitting on the throne? If he's on the throne, you pray. You pray much. So you better look at this and go, hey, have I, if I nudged him off, is my selfishness come back in and Jesus being so polite would step aside and let me live that way? He will let you live that way. It's not what he desires. Not if you're a Christian. You're to be in surrender. You're to be in submission. Lord, take my life. Use my life. God, take over. Dominate in me is one of my favorite prayers. Sometimes when I'm really drifted, I say, God, dominate in me. Take over. Get myself out of here and take over. And let your life come through. Let people see the fruit of the Spirit. Let people know who you are through my life. Man, when I think of you guys as being arrows in the world, you guys are being flung. Boy, tomorrow at noon, where will you be? So many of you will be in the world, in the business, in the work, in the schools, in all those places. And you're the light of the world, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. Not if you're not shining Jesus. If it's you on your throne, you're just another dude at work teaching Spanish. You know? But you can be the light of the world when he's on the throne and you'll pray. You'll find yourself desiring to pray, wanting to pray. Oh, believe me, as a Catholic kid growing up, it was duty and it was miserable. I would go to confession. I would get 15 Our Fathers and 15 Hail Marys and get out there and say them. And so punishment came in the form of, oh, gosh, I got to pray. Oh, gosh, I must have been really bad. He gave me 20 Our Fathers. So I thought prayer was punishment and duty. Now, prayer is delight, and it's intimate, and I love this God. And I don't need formative prayers. These written prayers are beautiful. That Brian read that prayer, that was a beautiful prayer. But now I can just talk to God. This Wednesday morning, walking in the building before 6 o'clock in the dark, I said a three-word prayer. Want to hear it? Help. 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 It might have been the best prayer I said all week because it came from somewhere way down in here. Situations that my life's in, our family's in, difficulties. All I could say was, God, help. How about you? Are there things you can't handle? I hope, I hope they drive you to God. Are you so American you can do it yourself? You're foolish. You're foolish. Romans 8.14, it says this about us. 
The Christians are people who are led by God's spirit. That's quite a definition. Those who are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. Matthew 7, we are naming 707 years ago here. 15 years ago or so, we were naming this young adult ministry. And we said, hey, what are we going to name this thing? We chose Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. This is what we chose. It became 707. Ask and it'll be given to you, Jesus says. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you. And he goes on to say, you know, you guys are evil and you know how to give good things to your kids. How much more will the Father in heaven give to his children? Those who cry out to him. How much more? Last night I was with the grandkids. Jackie and I were over and the kids ran up, hugged my leg. <laughs> and uh, I love being grandpa. Love it. The problem is well, we want to give them everything. <laughs> we just want to give them everything. Everything they ask for, you know, spoil them rotten. My wife's renowned for spoiling the grandkids. She's worse than me. But we want to do that. But God says, and you guys are evil. And you know how to give good things to your children. How much more do you think God would give to his children? Of course. Difficulty in prayer is help. There's help on the way. Look at Romans chapter 8. Paul, talking to the church, writing to the church, speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's difficult to pray. Sometimes it's the hardest thing. Sometimes I wake up and say, Lord, here I am this morning. I'm here. I'm grumpy. And oh, okay. That's how I start. I start with the word of God and springboard out of it. But the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he translates them. And he's at work in helping us take these prayers to the Father. Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Divine help. So if you're in elementary school of prayer, that's fine. You're going to graduate someday. You know, if you're in, if you're in middle school of prayer, you've, you've kind of had some growth. That's fine, but just progress. Move into the high school. If you've, if you've learned to pray, keep praying. Continue in prayer. Deepen your prayers. Pray fervently and effective. Call down the blessings of God through the promises of God. Turn back darkness with praying. By drawing God's presence. Let's take a look at Luke. I'm kind of falling behind. Got to motivate here. So hang with me, class. Hang with me. Luke 18. Jesus says, or it says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Here's Jesus teaching in parable form so children can understand. He said this, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, this is the judge. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, if you have ears to hear, 
you know what Jesus was saying. If you have ears to hear, the parable to you makes perfect sense. Like, oh, I get it. If you have a hardened heart, you don't care what Jesus said. But he's saying this, that they might ever, never stop praying. If we could hear him in very simple terms, he'd say, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't grow weary. Don't stop. And prayer is hard work. It's exhausting sometimes. But don't stop, he would cheer for us. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep coming to this throne. You see in Luke, it continues in verse 9 through 14, more, teach, more teaching about prayer. He also told this parable to some of them who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, Jesus said. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this way. God, I thank you that I, not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you get it? The Bible says one went away justified. And of course, it's this one who humbled himself before God. Billy Graham's people used to sing, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. So I come. That's all you got. Not your works, not your strengths, not your wisdom, not your intelligence, your experience. You got nothing. You got nothing. But in Christ, you have everything. You have the fullness of God in Christ, in you. I don't have a plea, Lord, but I come. I come. Matthew 6, moving right along. Jesus, speaking about prayer, speaking to you, to you, here, now. Jesus, you're his disciple, you're his follower. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will answer you, will reward you. How simple. God waits. He fills the universe. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He, he goes off the edges of the universe. He's that big. He's that great. But there are times when he's more than a distant God and an awesomely large God. There are times when he's an intimate God where he waits for you in secret. And he waits for you to come to him. Jesus practiced that often. Okay. Principles to observe. How about verses 7 and 8? Very simple. Jesus is teaching. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. do for the, They think they, have, they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Don't be like them. 
It's not about how long the prayer is. It's not about how good you are at praying. It's not about that you could pray the paint off the walls of the church. You know, it's not about that you can wax beautifully in British history or British English, I should say. It's not about that at all. The Gentiles were like that. They're real loud and real long and so forth. It's not that. Jesus is saying it's simple. Come and talk to me. Open your heart up to me. Let me hear you. See, if I don't talk to Jackie for the next three days, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. I've distanced myself. I've separated myself. Communication is is the livelihood of relationship. And communion with God is in prayer. It's when we talk to him and we sit with an open Bible and we hear his word. The voice of God, we hear God, we hear him. He speaks to us. Okay. Verses 9 through 13 in this same chapter is the prayer that most of you known, have known. It's the prayer we call the Our Father. It's the prayer that, that most of you have said, probably every, well, most everyone here. But Jesus, when he was asked and pursued by them, hey, teach us to pray, this is what he did. He said, okay, got it. Here's the model prayer. Here's the way. I'll teach you guys this. Use this as a format, as a template for your praying. Start this way. Our Father in heaven. Adoration. We don't run into a throne room and start going, hey, vending machine God, give me what I want. Here's all my needs. Here's all my desires. We come into a throne room tentatively, reverently, hallowing his name. Because he's surrounded by angels that are screaming, glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy. When we go to the throne, we hallow his name. We speak praise to his name. Thy kingdom come. We're submissive. We've learned from Jesus. This is love to submit to him. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. Not, Not my eye. But your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. It's right for you to ask for things. It's right for you to pray for yourself. It's right for you to ask him for needs. So we ask because Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Now, who wants to be in that category in heaven? Who wants to be that person who meets Christ and and you find out by conversation, he says, I would have given that to you. I would have given you that. You didn't ask. You didn't ask me. Ask. Seek. Knock on that door and keep knocking on that door. Don't stop. Don't give up. Continue in prayer. Give us our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses, our debts. Forgive us our debts, Lord. We know we're sinners. You see, the throne is a holy place. Only holiness there. We go in. We have access. We have help from the Holy Spirit. We have help from Jesus himself. But we need our sins forgiven. Forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others. Let your spirit live in us. That spirit from the cross that said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That spirit is acceptable in heaven. That attitude is acceptable. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, this is a prayer for holiness. Lord, Lord, don't lead us into, don't, Lord. Lord, help us to live this holy life. Help us to walk this holy way. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. You see, I can't be holy unless the Holy Spirit makes me holy. 
I can't do that work. Not in the flesh, only by the spirit. Only he can make me holy. Only he can make you holy. Okay, we close with this scripture. Hebrews 4, 16. Are you listening? Are you learning today? Have you had ears to hear what God is saying? I'm a, I'm a jar of clay up here <laughs> repeating Jesus' words. That's all. Have you heard what Jesus has said? Have you taken instruction? Take this encouragement that God beckons us to himself. This is what the writer of Hebrew, Paul, says. Look, we have a high priest in heaven. It's Jesus, the Lord. He's in heaven. He is our priest. He is interceding for us. He is with the Father. And he does this. He makes this access available, this audience with God. And Paul writes, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's this grace? It's a, it's a monstrous, immeasurable vial of gifts to God's people. Even the, un, even the ungodly receive God's grace of good weather and good fortune and health and sound minds. But to us as children, he has graces galore for us to give. And what's this thing of mercy? What is this? This is a, He's not giving us what we deserve. And rather than give us what we deserve, he gives us blessings. He gives us joy. He gives us life and he gives us heart. He gives us himself. It's all mercy. We don't deserve this. But we can have this confidence that we can draw near. We can go there. So we'll sing a song in a moment. Behold our God. You see, Isaiah saw God in Isaiah 6. He saw God and he was like, I'm undone. Oh my, I'm undone. John saw God and fell down. He got a glimpse of a heavenly scene. In the eyes of faith in your mind, when we pray, we go to the throne. The noise of heaven doesn't distract us or distract him. The singing and the chanting and the glory, the songs of heaven don't distract God. He hears every word. And so we go in boldly. And our God who sits on his throne says, come, come. Our God who sits on his throne says to those that don't know him today, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't stay back. Come to Christ. Trust him. Surrender. Don't be proud. Let's pray. Father, as we take a few moments to pray, as we leave some quiet in this house, Lord, we pray that this will be a house of prayer, worship, praise, repentance. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken. Your words have been spoken. Thank you, Jesus, that you allow us to hear your very words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take these words and you drive them into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to apply what we've heard. Help us to stop and praise you for the sunshine to praise you for the day, to praise you for our lives, to praise you for every gift of love we've known, for every good and perfect gift comes down from you. Thank you, God, that you love us and you won't stop loving us and you won't love us less and you cannot love us more. Oh God, in these quiet moments, Lord, hear our prayers.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.